You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Stocks and Sandals podcast. This is your host, Mike Sabala, joined by DJ Brown. And today I am, I'm personally super excited for this episode because this is the first guest I've actually gotten on my own. Uh, so a lot of pressure for our guest today, right, DJ? Yeah, this is, uh, normally I'm in charge of uh, recruiting our podcast guests. We've since passed that on to uh, another one of our awesome dad moderators, um, Ricardo. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of you for finding one and you found a found a good one, I think. I'm pretty excited for it. So uh, today we're actually going to be talking with Daniel Kwok, um, Dan Daniel. He said we can call him whatever we want. I don't know if that's dangerous. Ill-advised. Ill-advised. Yeah, right. Um, but no, we're meeting with Daniel Kwok, uh, who is a real estate entrepreneur and uh, part of a brother duo, the Kwok Brothers. Um, which is pretty cool to me. I mean, I, I was looking at your website, the, the and just kind of seeing you guys, you know, working together and doing all this kind of fun stuff. I mean, Mike's not my biological brother, but it kind of feels the same way, you know, we're kind of best buds doing everything together. It makes things a lot more fun. So, um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about real estate today and, uh, investing in real estate and just kind of how to diversify our portfolios. We're stock dads, but we don't just focus on stocks. Uh, we focus on kind of the entire dad uh, investing and general wealth, you know. So uh, we're excited for this, Daniel, especially because uh, Mike and I have been very interested in real estate investing and getting into it ourselves. And we both are pretty new to the idea and have a lot of questions. So um, before we get started, I'm gonna give you like a minute or two to just kind of tell me a little bit more about yourself, your background, and you know, what do you want the people to know about you? Yeah, man. Well, first off, it's great to be here. I love this. You know, I love going on podcasts and just sharing and whatnot. I think this is like my third podcast today. So it's fun, man. I, I absolutely love this stuff. I love your concept, by the way, stock and dads. And I love it, you know, because growing up in the household, my dad never talked to me about money. Never, never talked to me about investing. And, you know, uh, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm sure many people here are as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, they say that the, the man is supposed to be the, the quote unquote leader of the household. Um, and, you know, for my dad to, to never speak to me about that, it, you know, it, it had a lot of negative uh, consequences in my life. And I'll share a little bit about my story because it's a, it's a, it's a little different that compared to other people. Um, so I'm excited here to, to share and spend some time with the dads. Uh, I am not a dad yet, but to say a little bit about myself, I am a husband, I'm an entrepreneur, author, um, and I just overall just love people. Um, I love connecting with people, hearing their stories. Um, you know, whenever something happens, I'm interested to hear why they did it and what it is about their personality. So um, I'm still a very young man. You know, I'm only 26 years old. And so, you know, please, I preface this. This is my little disclaimer. Before we begin, I am, uh, you know, I know some things. I've accomplished some things in my career, yes, but I am still a work in progress. I'm like that building when you go to downtown Chicago or Indianapolis, wherever, where they always have the scaffolding thing around it. 
you know, uh, with the guys who are wearing construction, you know, worker stuff. And that's me that I am that building. Um, so please do not. Uh, aren't we all? Aren't, aren't we, we all? all? That's exactly right. You know, that's yeah. exactly right. So that's a that's, great analogy. I like that. Thanks, man. But that's me. That, that's who Daniel Kwok is in a nutshell. So, yeah, you mentioned you're a, you're an author and I know you are a YouTuber and, and you got a podcast and all sorts of fun stuff, right? Is that correct? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Just kind of yeah. tell me where the people can find you on those things. Yeah, so our YouTube, I am a YouTuber. So my brother and I, we have a channel called The Quack Brothers. So we cover a lot of stuff on personal finance. You know, the vision for our organization, I, I try to um, enforce that every single day is uh, the vision is that you know, every American family in 20, 30, 40 years can sit around the dinner table and have a comfortable conversation about finances because of our exposure, because of our products and because of our mission. That's what we want to see, you know? Um, so that, that's our mission. So YouTube channel is the Quack Brothers, K-W-A-K. If people want to follow me on Instagram, it's the Daniel Quack. Uh, but our Instagram handle for our business is the same thing. We post a lot of great content on there. Um, I'm the type of guy where I don't like posting a lot on social media, but I understand that's where a lot of people are. And so that's where I choose to kind of, you know, put some stuff out. That's awesome. Yeah, I can relate to that. Cause I'm also not someone that posts like at all. So when we started this whole thing, it was very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to, uh, I had to shoulder the, the face of the company, which is unfortunate because I'm much <laughs> uglier than Mike. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable on social media than Mike is, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, uh, it's a learning curve and a learning process and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so let, let's just dive right into it. Um, you know, I guess start with a little bit of your backstory. How'd you start in real estate? What, what got you into it? Especially because you mentioned how your dad didn't really talk to you about this stuff. How did this come about? Yeah. So what is my origin story? So I'm an immigrant to this country from South Korea. I should have just said like from like Zimbabwe and just really confuse you guys. (laughs) But I am South Korean. So if you guys are listening, you could just picture a very stereotypical looking Asian man, I guess. I don't know. They say we all look alike. So I guess that does it justice. Um, but for me, you know, I immigrated from South Korea at the age of five and my origin story of how I got in- interested in real estate actually begins at five years old because I loved and when I was in Korea and I mean, love basketball. Uh, I had an older cousin who like played on his high school team um, and it was like a, it was a South Korean high school. So I don't know what South Korean basketball looks like, but I used to just watch the Korean basketball league. I used to think that these guys were like the best players in the world. Um, you know, their, their center would be like six foot four. And I'm like, wow, that, that guy is so tall. And like, little did I know there's guys like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, seven foot one. <laughs> but anyways, I love basketball. We immigrated to 14 hour flight to go from Korea to America, the entire 14 hours. I'm like crying. I'm super sad because I have to say goodbye to my friends. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, no more basketball. So I get off. And I think all of you guys here are old enough. Do you guys remember like when airports used to have those box TVs up in the corners of the gates. You guys mm-hmm. remember that? Yeah. Ooh, I didn't fly much. <laughs> I flew a ton. So I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. You know yeah. Exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, this is late nineties, mind you. And so we get off the plane and um, I'm sad, right? Cause I, I think there's no basketball in America. So I get <laughs> off, I look up at the box TV, literally I'm walking out from the plane thinking about my new life in America. And I see this guy and he's holding a basketball. And I think this was a commercial. It may have been a game, but he was six foot six. He was from North Carolina and he had number 23 on his shirt. 
and he played for the Chicago Bulls. And so I was like, huh, this guy looks a little different than the Korean players. He's like, he's bigger than the Korean players. His skin is much darker and, you know, he can jump a lot higher and he's definitely way better than the other <laughs> Korean players. So I later find out the dude is Michael Jordan. So I'm like, oh, sweet. And so um, I, as a, ever since I was a kid, like I've had dreams of wanting to like, change the world, you know, like I wanted to you know, build hospitals in Africa and, you know, just like anything, right. I don't know, save the sharks and Af- I don't know, like, but like literally, like, I just wanted to change the world. Um, and fast forward to when I'm 19 years old and I'm a Bulls fan, right. And that matters because the guy who owns the Bulls is a guy named Jerry Reinsdorf. And I read a biography when I was 17 on how he made his money. And I read that he actually started investing in commercial real estate when he was in his late twenties, he was a CPA and attorney. So I always had that in the back of my mind of like, all right, if I want to, you know, uh, be wealthy and I want to help the world, I got to I got to invest in real estate like this, you know, like the Chicago Bulls owner. And so fast forward to 19 years old. And I think a lot of times when entrepreneurs say invest, we talk about investing in ourselves. I think we are the greatest asset that we can ever invest in uh, besides stocks, real estate, bonds, commodities, whatever it may be. But when you grow up poor, a lot of times what you learn is poor and you inherit as opposed to inheriting you know a large sum of money or a trust fund you oftentimes inherit a very poor mindset and that's where i was and that poor mindset led me to being 19 years old i had negative 187 dollars and 65 cents in my bank account and uh, i had two maxed out credit cards and at one point when i was 19 i found myself looking through the dumpster finding something to eat um because my parents at the time had moved back to korea uh my brother and i had nowhere else to go and we were just living in our university apartment at the time and when the cafeteria is closed, we didn't know how we were going to survive. And so that was the day where I looked at that balance on my bank account. And I remember driving an hour and a half to visit a friend uh, back in my hometown. And the whole time I just wept and I felt like a loser. And a lot of people who are on this right now, who are on the live, which I don't know if, if there's people listening to this, the recording version, but I highly encourage you to join the people who are live here, join their discord. Um, but you know, like preach, preach baby, right? <laughs> Out of all the things I said, that's the yeah, that's the takeaway. <laughs> that's the takeaway, right? Um, but but in, in all seriousness, like everybody here is here because they probably had a moment in their life where they felt like such a loser, and that's where I was. Like I felt like a total bum who couldn't take care of myself, and I was thinking, like, man, like how am I going to take care of? a wife one day? How am I going to even change the world if I can't even take care of myself? So that's where I was. So I asked God to give me a solution, you know, because for some reason, God seems to be the last person that we go to when we're in trouble, when, when he really, in my opinion, should be the first. And so um, I talked to God and God was gracious enough. And I said, Lord, you got to give me some other way. And six months later, I actually met a mentor who was willing to take me under his wing. So between the ages of 19 and 22, um, I studied my face off. I mean, like I would wake up at seven, go to sleep at one, and the only breaks I would take is to either eat or work out. And I would just study my butt off about investing, um, but it was predominantly about real estate. So I dabbled a lot in stocks and mutual funds, different things, but my predominant focus was on real estate for a multitude of reasons. And so that leads me to being 22. I'm the smartest guy in every single room I go into because of the amount of time I put into my craft, learning and studying, but I had no money. I wasn't making anything. 
And um, I wasn't doing any real estate deals. And again, I was frustrated yet again, three years later. And so I asked God, why am I not making any money? Why am I so frustrated? Why is it that I know so much about real estate investing and investing in general, but my bank account would say otherwise. And this is when God took me to a piece of scripture. By the way, I, feel, I hope you guys don't mind if I talk a lot about, you know, like Bible. That's just what I use. Not at all. Reference. Not at all. Mike and I are believers. So oh, sweet. I've had it. Anybody that's listening that doesn't like it can suck it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This let's let's power, move on. Right? Yeah, right. Talk so, about what we want. All right. So, so the scripture in John chapter 13, where Jesus, you know, this is where what God took me to, where Jesus has this realization that he's the most powerful being in the universe. And actually says in scripture that he had a realization that the father had put everything under his authority and that he was going to the father and, and whatnot. And the next verse, it says, so S O it is the cause and effect implication. He says, so uh, he begins to remove his outer garments and brought out a basin of water and began to wash the feet of his disciples. And the Holy spirit was so convicting in my life and to where he said, Daniel, the problem that you have right now, it's because you have a very great mind, but you every room you walk out of, the feet remain dirty. That's your problem. And I'm like, okay, all right, that's my problem. So what I did was actually very simple. I like simple. I think success is very simple. I think when success doesn't happen is when people complicate it way too much. And so every single room, it became my mission statement at that point that I would walk into every single room and every single person that was interested in investing in real estate stocks, whatever it was, I would ask them the question, what are the greatest obstacles you have in your business right now? And that led me to networking with a lot of people that led me to solving a lot of people's problems. It led to a lot of people who are very high net worth telling me, well, Daniel, I'm a doctor. I make half a million dollars a year. My CPA is telling me I need to get into some real estate, but I don't have the strategy, the team or the knowledge like you do. So that's when I started syndicating funds and I met people who are much more experienced than I was. And I would connect the two together. Um, and they were nice enough, although I wasn't expecting this, they were nice enough to give me some equity in the deal. I started doing some deals, started learning under them, and I started doing deals on my own with the relationships that I made. And by the time I was 23, I had uh, owned and controlled uh, about $7 million worth of real estate. Um, and, and I was doing a lot better than I thought. So um, that's kind of my origin story, kind of how I got into real estate. And now I do, do something a little differently, but I do it at a much higher level in real estate. But that's my origin story. Awesome. So I have a quick, quick question for you. Um, so I know you mentioned commercial real estate in there. And is that something that you still do now? Or do you focus more on like the residential side of things as far as yeah. like rentals? So my first deal was residential. Matter of fact, a lot of the, a lot of that seven, eight million dollars of real estate that I owned, I actually bought it through what's known as seller financing where I didn't go through the bank, uh, I actually had the seller finance me and carry the mortgage uh, for me, right? So in the beginning, my first deal was I bought a portfolio of uh, four single family rentals. Uh, but now today I exclusively do commercial. Okay. Okay. So what are, I guess, some of the barriers to that? Because it's, and this was a question I was going to ask is like, what's the pros versus cons of like residential versus commercial? Um, so like if, if, so DJ and I were thinking about starting, you know, getting into this, you know, it's something that interests us. What would you suggest that like probably residential is easier or I guess, what are some of the barriers to entry with, with yeah. commercial? Yeah. You know, I always tell people, and that's a question I get a lot. And it's, I always just tell people, well, it depends on what you want to do. 
you know, like if you want to have, you know, if you work a job right now and you're very happy and you're looking to get into real estate for tax benefits, because that's one of the main reasons why people love real estate, just the tax benefits. Uh, and you want to make some side income, you want to make cash flow, you know, go with residential, you know, get, get a couple three, four unit buildings. Um, you know, that's going to work very well for you, you know, and self-manage and, you know, there are ways that you could do that. Um, now, if you're looking to be full time and you want to have like 50 units or 60 units, then, you know, you want to go all out and you want to start your own fund and start syndicating, um, then commercial is much easier to scale for sure. It is much easier to scale. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, doing things at every level, you know, like the, the, if you mess up, then the, the consequences are significantly higher in commercial. Um, so you really kind of have to know what you're doing. Um, but I'd say the pros, pros and cons. With residential, you know, the pro is that um, it's, you have, typically have much higher quality tenant when you're looking at residential. You know, if you're looking at a single family house or duplex, you know, triplex or four unit, uh, your quality of tenants tends to be a little higher. Obviously, it depends on the area, the condition, depends on a lot of things. Um, but that's the pro. The con, however, is that, you know, if you have to replace a roof, then, you know, in a multifamily, you're replacing the same roof for, you know, 10 income streams. And that's kind of the way you have to think it. It's an income stream. Uh, whereas for like a single family house, you know, it costs, let's say $6,000 to fix a roof. You've wiped out your whole cash flow for the year, you know, so you're kind of done. Um, so, I mean, that's a pro for kind of commercial multifamily. But on the other hand of the spectrum, you know, with commercial, um, you deal with typically less quality tenants, unless you're in like a class A or a class B apartment complex investing. Um, but you know, you kind of know you have to, you, you kind of have to go through the obstacle of now, all right, you're going from just doing deals to now you're running an organization, mm -hmm. uh, and then you're running a business. And unfortunately, um, a lot of people just don't know how to do that. Right. So, so when you say commercial, are you more talking about like apartment complexes and stuff like that? Or do you do like the little like chains where people put a business in and stuff like that as well? Yeah. So by definition, residential is anything one to four units uh, and commercial. However, that includes uh, commercial uh, so like apartment complexes, five units and above. Uh, that also includes retail, self-storage units, you know, uh, warehouses are in that category. So, yeah, commercial typically implies a much bigger asset. So. Um, all right. So you wrote this book called I mean, it's like zero to 75 properties in a year. Right. Or what's the title of it? The exact title. I don't want to mess it up. No, that, you're exactly right. So the title zero to 75 units in one year. Okay. So for Mike and I, okay, we have zero units, right? Other than the house that I live in and the, you know, the townhouse that Mike lives in, right? We have no residential real estate properties that we're invested in. Okay. So we are at that zero point. What is, uh, I mean, without obviously going too much into your book, which I mean, everybody can buy your book and read it and stuff, but like, you know, the first step somebody needs to take to get into this that doesn't have like a ton of cash to be able to buy a property outright in cash, you know, I mean, like what, what are your recommendations for that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad, so glad you mentioned that because when I started, I had horrible credit and I had no money. Um, so I had to find a way to make it work without using any of my own capital. Um, so number one, you know, I, I would have to say, figure out, figure out what value you want to give to people. You know, like I, there's, it, this is so important, but entrepreneurs who, who, you know, want to start their business, the way it typically works is like they have an idea and then they Google it to see if it's available. And then they like, oh my gosh, people will love this. 
Um, what people, a lot of people don't do is that they don't study the market, the social market around them. Um, I tell people the reason why I did what I did is because, you know, I literally just simply asked the question, hey, what are some things that you need solved? What are some problems you need solved? And I, I, and I asked that question to over 500 people. Um, and then I kind of reverse engineered, like, what are the things that I could do and start learning about? So I say number one is figure out your value proposition. You know, what are the things that you truly bring to the table? What are some things that you're curious in? It annoys me a little bit. And I, and I talk about this in the book when people are like, oh, bro, you should follow your passion. Uh, I'm not a big believer in that. I always tell people, don't follow your passion. Don't follow your heart. If anything, the Bible says guard your heart. And I always tell people, follow your curiosity. It's because it's your curiosity that leads you to studying something for three, four, five hours in a row. You know, it's not your passion. Let's be real. Like what I'm passionate about today is completely something different than I was passionate about five years ago. You know, so for me, I always typically follow your curiosity. So number one, figure out what are you curious on? Uh, what do you want to learn more about? You know, and if it's real estate, great. What type of real estate? You know, residential, multifamily and figure out the people that you really uh, the problems that you really solve for them. And then go find those people and start working with them. And if you do that, then, you know, most people will be all right. Um, I always tell people like action leads to more action. The road to success is a lot like a video game where you like, you know, you know, you're going the right way. If you find the bad guys there, um, you know, and it's kind of like the same concept, you know, you, people will always be there to, with problems. And as, as long as you have action that leads to more action, you'll, you'll do all right. Gotcha. Um, so with being more heavily invested with commercial stuff, like what does that look like as far as interest rates and stuff like that? Like, I don't even know what that looks like versus residential stuff. Like, is there a, can you just talk about that a little bit? I guess I don't even know what question yeah. to ask about it, but how does it differ? Yeah, sure, man. Yeah. So in terms of like residential versus commercial, I mean, um, in, by interest rate, if you mean like the banking, like the, the rate of the loan mm -hmm. versus like even yeah. like the federal lending interest rate. So both actually impacted very much. Obviously the banking, you know, the interest rate that you get from the banks is very correlated on, you know, what the Fed interest rate is, right? Um, the way I describe it to people in real estate is that, you know, your pool of buyers, I mean, it's basic supply and demand. Your pool of buyers in commercial is so predicated on the individual's ability to receive financing. Because when you're talking about a single, single family house or residential, your pool of buyers is gigantic. You know, it goes all the way from Mr. and Mrs. Jones who, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, Johnny went off to college and they want to start renting out their home and they want to buy a second home, you know, all the way to that investor who wants to start dipping their toes in real estate. Whereas if you go to commercial, your you know, pool of buyers is guys like me, guys who you know, founded a real estate fund and they have millions and millions of dollars to, to allocate in terms of their capital. Um, so, I mean, I say the in terms of commercial interest rate, the pool of buyers is much more sensitive to the interest rate changes. So in commercial, I actually have to pay significantly way more attention to what's happening with the federal interest rate. Um, because that's going to dictate what a lot of people do in terms of my pool of buyers. Whereas I think if you're in the housing market with residential, you're more predicated on what the bank charges. Because, you know, that's what Mr. and Mrs. Jones is going to be looking at when they go to the bank to get their residential mortgage. You know, they're going to be looking at what is my monthly payment? You know, what is that? What is this? They're more focused on that as opposed to, you know, the big commercial investor who they have to reverse engineer Hey, what is my cash flow going to be? What are the dividends going to be for my passive investors? Um, and how is my debt service going to affect that? And obviously that debt service changes based on what the interest rate does. So 
in regards to like, I always tell people when it comes to the investing world, a lot of times stocks are the first one to be hit. Um, and then real estate is kind of really the, 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 the ancillary, right? You don't really see the effects hitting the real estate market for another like six months. Um, you know, I mean, even, even when you look at, you know, the news and announcements, like when the Fed announced that they're going to keep their rates low for the next two years, I mean, the, the housing market really wasn't affected. Like the housing market boomed in 2020. Like it was on fire. Um, the inventory was extremely low. Um, but, you know, the irony was had the inventory was extremely low while delinquencies were at oftentimes all-time highs. Default rates were going up. People weren't, you know, in forbearance. Um, but the real estate market in 2020 absolutely boomed, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, I, I feel like in 2021, there might be some type of a housing crash coming. I just don't see a scenario where inventory gets flipped up and you know it doesn't get flipped up on its head. I just don't see a scenario where it doesn't where that doesn't happen. Um, so in regards to the real estate market with interest rates and, and kind of what you're alluding to, I say real estate kind of faces those um, byproducts kind of on the back end as opposed to something like the equities market. Gotcha. So um, kind of backtracking a little bit to my, my original question with the, you know, kind of starting at ground zero. Um, so let's say you're, you do have the capital, right? But so you're not, you're not going to necessarily look for somebody else's capital to invest for you, but you have your own. Okay. Your credit's fine. You just haven't done it yet. Okay. But you maybe still don't have enough to buy it cash. Right. Okay. So now we're in this situation where like, okay, I want to buy a property. Uh, can't buy it outright in cash kind of two scenarios. Do you focus on that one property and paying it off? Um, or once you start getting equity from that property, uh, do you suggest expanding anyways, even though you haven't paid off that first property and you still have that interest rate and stuff? Like what's your strategy with, yeah. with I guess, um, you know, scaling basically? Yeah. So one of the things I really wish real estate investors would take a look at is uh, I heard a really good quote about real estate is that if you protect your downside, your upside will always take care of itself. One of the things that the equities market does extremely well that the real estate investing market doesn't do is they don't know how to protect their downside. Uh, if you look at any online real estate investing forum, it's always about what's the cash flow, what's the cash flow. It's like being, imagine like being a boxer where all you do is focus on knocking the other person out, but you never focus on defense. Right. Like I mean, even some of like the greatest, you know, combat athletes of all time, like we're always defensive minded. You know, I mean, if you think about like boxers like Floyd Mayweather, you know, they were always defensive minded. If you think about, you know, uh, the greatest football teams to ever walk the earth, which was the 85 Bears, uh, they were very defensive minded, you know. So sorry, Steelers fans, you know, but <laughs> you may get some uh, you may get some hate mail after that. one. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Right. How dare you? Mike has the... Mike has right. no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, so. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> yeah, right. The sports the ball. Sports, again, yeah, exactly. You know? uh, but yeah, I mean, for, so in terms of, hey, Daniel, should I pay off the existing mortgage or should I um, you know, acquire another property. Well, there's two things. There's defense and there's offense. On the defensive end of the spectrum, you got to protect your downside in the form of paying attention to what's known as the LTV ratio. The LTV ratio stands for loan to value ratio that every bank is going to have. Um, the part that worries me, especially with investment properties is, well, number one, you got the stuff like going on right now, right? Where tenants, you know, there's the eviction moratorium, tenants are not paying rent. Um, you know, and, and landlords can't even evict their tenants currently, right? Um, which for me is a little odd, but uh, I get it. You know, we're in a pandemic. We'll do what we can. 
Um, but there's also the loan to value ratio where, and what that is, is that if the, if the balance of the loan exceeds uh, the value of the actual assets, that's when a lot of bankers start getting very nervous. Um, I actually had a conversation with my commercial lender uh, and a couple of the VPs of different banks, even down in Florida, where the housing market's you know greater than a lot of times the average of the nation. Um, you know, I asked them the question of, "Hey, what do you guys do? What's your protocol if the loan-to-value ratio gets up to be about a hundred or above, meaning that the balance of the loan, the value of the real estate, has dropped?" to where it's equal to or less than the remaining balance that is on the mortgage. What is your guys' protocol on an investment property, especially if it's commercial real estate? And then their protocol was that we typically will ask for the enough liquidity to cover it and bring it back down to 80. Meaning that if they have a $100,000 balance on their loan and they have a $100,000 house, they're gonna, the bank is going to ask the individual for $20,000 for them to continue the loan, right? So that's defense. So I would say, number one, make sure your loan of value is, is is 70% or lower. Um, I think if you keep a 70, you know, or 60 better yet and lower, you're, you're pretty safe from, from any risks. Um, and then you got offense. You know, one thing I always tell people, whoever asks me that question of like, Hey, should I pay it off? Or should I get something new? Figure out how much money you're saving by paying off the property, by paying off the mortgage. And then compare that to the cash flow you're going to receive. If you do this next deal, which is greater, right? which is greater and understand that if you get a second property, it's probably going to be double the headache, you know, double the problem. So ask yourself, is that differential worth it? Right? Like if you're making an extra 300 bucks a month because you acquired another property um, and you're also, you know, collecting equity on that too, right? Cause the tenant's really paying for your mortgage. Um, you know, if it's worth it, then great, do it, you know, but if you're actually saving more money by paying off your property, um, then go with that too, right? I always tell people though, when, when it comes to paying off property, don't ever use cash to pay off your property. Use a home equity line of credit to chunk down the principal just so that you can get the interest payments down too, right? That's something, that's a strategy that not a lot of people talk about, right? In terms of how to accelerate a mortgage. Uh, but that's what I would do. That's the advice I'd probably give. So wait, can I do, like do that with my own personal home? Like I could take out a home equity loan and pay down my principal with that? Yeah, that's what I always tell people to do. So you're almost using your HELOC as a checking account. So I, I do this to pay off even my rentals. But uh, what we do is we take out a home equity line of credit and we have a positive cash flow in our, um, in our rental. And what we do is we use the line of credit to take care of all the expenses. So like your maintenance, or this and et cetera, et cetera. But what you're doing is you're chunking down the remaining principal of the loan. So like if you have $100,000 remaining on your mortgage and you get a 50 $15,000 line of credit, use that $15,000 line of credit as like a checking account. And then as long as you have a positive cash flow every single month, you're going to be paying off that line of credit more and more and more and more, right? You're just using it, right? So a lot of people are like, well, Daniel, like that doesn't make any sense because now you're having two payments, right? You're having a payment to the line of credit and you also have a payment to your mortgage. Well, no, you necessarily don't because your positive cash flow that you're using to chunk down your already existing home equity line of credit is serves as your payment. So, I mean, we actually have clients. So this is actually, so the reason why I'm speaking about this too, is because we actually, my brother and I, we actually have a product that helps people like save, you know, their money on their mortgage. And we have clients who they're paying down their 30 year mortgage in literally like eight years. And they're saving tens of thousands of dollars on the interest because at the end of the day, like, I think we're all, you know, financially aware enough to the point where that's how banks make their money. You know, they, they make their money on the, the, the front end amortization that they're getting. That first payment you make to the bank is 75% interest. 
you know, that's money that they're pocketing. So um, I, I always tell people find what I love paid off real estate. Like I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for paid off real estate. So as you're talking about these, you know, all these rental properties, it sounds like you've got like a lot of investors and stuff to help get started with these is, I mean, how do you go about finding them? Is it just back to that, you know, have that conversation of what, you know, what do you need right now? And then like being a gap fill for them or like, is there another way that like DJ and I could go about this to get, you know, potential investors as well? Because nobody's going to invest in us yet because we don't know anything. <laughs> so nobody's going to be like, hey, here's all my money. Go buy me some real estate because we're not good at that. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people, like, as, as you look to improve yourself, like, as you go to these, like, events and online forums and you're seeking knowledge, like, you'll run into people who, who have, like, capital and they're just, they don't have the time, right, to be able to, like, you know, actually do the deal themselves, you know? I mean, the way I first did it, obviously, I said it, you know, I went around, I literally asked people, like, hey, what are some of your greatest problems in your business? Like, you know, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you have, you know, in real estate? And, you know, like five, 10% of those people were like, yeah, I'm a doctor. I don't have time. I have to invest passively. Um, so that's how like I first started. And then, you know, you kind of, another great way I do it is like build a thought leadership platform. So, you know, I, I, I used to do a lot of newsletters um, to people and I would just ask, like I knew people in the medical field um, were going to enjoy real estate. So I would, I just reverse engineered, Hey, who are the people that I can help? And so I would reach out to the friends that I already had were in the, were, that were in the medical profession. And I'd say, hey, if I put together a newsletter that, you know, talked about doctors and their finances and investing, do you have any individuals that work in your hospital that'd be interested? And, you know, I had friends who were nurses, doctors, and like, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I started, you know, putting some thoughts out and adding a lot of value up front. Um, but in all honesty, in terms of what you guys can do, it's actually as simple as just calling somebody. So I have, I have a coaching client of mine cause I do a lot of real estate coaching. Um, she is fresh into real estate, like nothing. Like she signed up with me about two months ago. Um, well three now, right? So three months ago. And this is all I, like, this is literally it. This is all I had her do. I, I told her, Geraldine, like you just need to go through your contacts, pick 15 people that you think would have capital and that would invest in real estate and would benefit from it. Call them and thank goodness this is recorded because this is all you have to say. Hi, John, my name is Geraldine. I don't know if you know this about me, but hey, I hire a coach to help me you know, get this done and do it the right way. Him and I have been working the last month creating a blueprint on how we can help people and how we can invest in properties for 2021. Included in that plan, uh, I, I need to have people that are invested in the deal who are passive investors who are interested in receiving a return. I'm not going to lie. When he mentioned this, you are one of the first names that popped up. Is this something that you'd be interested in? All it would be is a 15 minute conversation. I can give you the breakdown. And that's all I had her do. So she called 15 people on Monday. Um, and she had uh, out of those 15, 11 said yes to a 15 minute meeting. Right. That's all you're doing. You're just selling them on a 15 minute meeting, which is not a lot of people are going to say no to that. Um, and so she talked to 11 people, five of them said yes, right. As in, Hey, when you have a deal, I'll, I'll have $150,000 ready for you. Like, you know, she, like her, I told her, get a specific number and get a sheet of paper and just have them sign like a letter of verbal commitment. Right. Like, and just, and she put like a disclaimer in there saying like, Hey, this is not a legally binding contract. This is not a, you know, a notarized any form of document whatsoever. Uh, this is just, you know, literally something on paper saying that, uh, you know, when the time comes and I'm in, in one week, 
right? She sent me screenshots on Saturday night uh, and she had verbally committed and raised $950,000 for her next deal. And so I'm just like, it's just that easy. Like it really is that simple. Um, and yeah, you know, you, you got to have some people skills, you know, I mean, you can't just be all weird about it and just, you know, before they even say hello, just get into like your script. Um, which I mean, I'm not even really even a big believer of scripts, but I mean, she, she made it simple. She did what I told her to do. And, you know, in seven days she raised almost a million dollars. So, um, it's not whether or not like, Hey, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't feel ready yet. I always just tell people just be authentic and just say, Hey, look, I'm not ready to do a deal yet. I haven't got all my ducks in a row when it comes to doing a deal, but this is potentially what it could look like. You know, if you're interested, you know, I'll put you on the list. So is that like kind of like a, a match thing where like you're saying, you know, whatever I can put in, like you put in, we go in on this together. Um, or is this like a, how, how does she benefit from that? Like it's their money. Do, do they pay her like a, you know, a portion of the revenue? I mean, what does that look like? Yeah. So the way I did my deals in the past is I would form an entity with myself and the investor. They would own 50%. Um, but with certain things, I would actually give them a hundred percent. So there are four ways of making money in real estate. Uh, there's appreciation when, and there's different types of appreciation, right? Like you could raise the income, you raise the rents, you could, you know, um, rehab the building to make it look nicer and have it increase in value. Uh, but there's also depreciation, which is all the tax benefits. And then there's cash flow, the money that you make after expenses and debt service. And then there's principal accumulation, which is the equity that you're building by paying it off every single year, right? I mean, the more you're in the mortgage, the more you own the building outright. That's equity, that's wealth, not riches. So uh, what I used to do for my deals is I used to give my investors half, right? So they would get 50% of the deal for putting up the money. I would get the other 50% by doing all the work, right? So I would manage it. I would, you know, negotiate. I would find the deal. I would, you know, set up the structure. I would do everything to the point where all they had to do was just wire me the money. So the arrangement that I had was they would get 50% of the cash flow. They would get half of the appreciation. They would get half of the equity accumulation. And I actually gave my investors 100% of the deductions of the benefits, the tax benefits. Because uh, again, a lot of my investors were high net worth individuals. They were high W2 income earners. Uh, they needed to offset their income, right? Uh, in terms of their taxable events. So I gave them a hundred percent and between like money made in terms of like cash on cash return. Uh, and then what we know, what we call in the real estate world as the internal rate of return, which is the combination of, of what the investor receives in the form of an annualized return in equity and also cash flow. So how much do they pay off? And then what's the actual you know number that hit their bank account in the form of a dividend, uh, their internal rate of return would be close to like 15%. But if you include like the money that we saved them because of the depreciation and the tax benefits, that number would a lot of times double. Um, because if you think about, you know, you're buying a building that's worth, you know, at the assessed value of $275,000, you know, the IRS puts it on a 27 and a half year schedule for rental properties. That's $10,000 a year that people that, that, you know, the investors were saving on their taxes. So, you know, for, for them, for the investors, it was a no brainer, you know, to, to get 50% of the deal. So that's how I, I, how I made money. And that's how she would do it too. So, um, Going off of that and talking about the depreciation, um, you know, with the benefit and the the tax benefits and stuff like that. So you also kind of, uh, you know, like said that you prefer paying off real estate. Yeah. So isn't there the benefit? I mean, what's, I guess, what's, what are the pros and cons of 
not paying off your mortgage early and using it as a tax, you know, tool and then paying it off early and, you know, saving on the interest. Yeah. So uh, depreciation, what's known as straight line depreciation in real estate, you get it whether your property is paid off or not. Um, you know, if you like, if you look at your schedule E or your form 8825, so I, by the way, I'm, I'm not a licensed CPA or am I a tax professional? I have to say that as a disclaimer. Um, but you know, if you look at your schedule E, the only thing that really shows up that's from your debt service is your interest. Uh, that's the only thing that really goes on your schedule E's and, and CPAs, if you have a good one, like a real estate CPA, their job is to beef up your schedule E with expenses, right? It's just the way it is. Like if you look at my schedule E, I technically on paper, I'm losing money on my real estate deals which obviously is not true. Um, but what they put on their schedule is, is interest and depreciation. So those two things are not operational expenses, but they still go on the schedule anyways, right? To show a negative balance. So, I mean, regardless of whether or not you have your property paid off or not, right? Like let's say you paid off the property in five years, you still have 22 and a half years of receiving that straight line depreciation every single year. So, you know, I always tell our investors, you know, um, my, my component, my big thing is, you know, risk. As long as, and we don't have to pay off the property tomorrow. But one of the things that I never will do in real estate, especially with my clients, is I will never uh, refinance. That's something that I will not do. Um, because especially if it puts us in a position where we have a pretty you know, uh, high balance on our mortgage, um, and there is a finance risk to that, right? That's something that I will not do. Because for me, it's like the reason why I got into real estate wasn't to be rich. I, I want to I be wealthy. Um, and not just me, but I, I mean, I want to get there by helping other people. Um, the, the amount of cash flow that you get when a property is paid off, like, I think that's something a lot of people underestimate and a lot of people underestimate it because few people ever seldom get there to the point where they, you know, they actually have the property paid off. Like it's immense, right? The average debt service on a piece of real estate property is usually about 30%. That's 30% of your gross income that you're adding to your, you know, that's every day. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. It's interesting. There's so many strategies. I think that's what makes it daunting, you know, yeah. for, for me at least, you know, that's why I got to start studying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did have a quick question that off of something you mentioned there. You said that with each client, you make a separate um, like LLC or holding or something like that. So is that a strategy for like liability reasons? Yeah. For liability reasons. So I, I created an LLC for each property. Um, and then I have myself and the investors, whoever is investing in it, own it. So I don't use that model anymore just because we now operate out of a 506 private placement memorandum. Um, but back when I did real estate in that way, that's how we did it. It's for liability, but we also do it for tax reasons too. Um, and it's just cleaner. Like I always tell people like, look, if you're going to invest in real estate or invest anything, it's like, do it the right way. You know, that's like buying like a Mercedes and putting in regular gas. It's like, dude, like, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like you, you pay the money to do, to get a Mercedes, like put in premium gas, like just treat it right. And it'll treat you right. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so one of the things that like uh, is always kind of in the back of my mind, if we do start uh, investing in real estate is, is obviously that lack of time. I mean, we're starting this business, the stock dads. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, we both work full time, you know, like uh, I'm a dad, um, you know, like there's all sorts of excuses that I could make saying, you know, oh, I don't have the time to do this. But there's also tools like, you know, um, property management companies and stuff like that. Is that something that you recommend um, like in general or for new investors or for I mean, veteran? How, what do you how do you use yeah. those? 
hundred percent. So, I mean, when I started acquiring my deals, I used the property manager. So uh, I actually partnered with the property manager and I would do all the money raising underwriting, right. And he would just manage the property. And, and, you know, we were, we were equal partners at that. Um, so, but I think like, to your point, a lot of, that's something that I hear a lot of people say, like they're busy or whatever. Um, and that's, yeah, that's true. I mean, we live in a world today where, you know, people are more interested in charging their phones than they are charging their mind. And, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to me that a lot of people kind of have the same reasoning. So, I mean, I think John Maxwell said it best. We're like, we, we, a lot of times think we don't have enough time in a week, but people will be very surprised how much time they have in a year. Um, and I think even if you had like two hours a week, which like, I don't care how busy you are, you, you can find two hours a week, you know, that equates to literally, I think like what, like 20 minutes a day, I think. Right. Um, but it, like, if you just do something two hours a week and you dedicated something like, like the John Maxwell things, like you, you chop down the tree every single day. I think a news reporter once asked him like, John, how did you write over 200 books? And he literally just told the reporter, like, I just wrote three, four pages a day for 40 years, which if you do the math on that, that equates to like 70, 80,000 pages, which is well enough to get 200 books. So it's like the same thing where it's just like a lot of people look at their schedule now on a day-to-day -day basis or their past week and be like, man, there's no way I have enough time to do real estate. But if they just dedicated two hours a week, I think people would be very shocked at what they could accomplish in a year, two years, three years. When I started in real estate, I was a full-time college student. I didn't even have my weekends because what I used to do is I used to travel. This is going to sound so geeky, but I used to travel every weekend uh, to, to a different church and I used to do music. So like my weekends were gone because I would leave on a Saturday morning and come back on a, on a Sunday night, you know, but I, I always found like just two hours during the weekday to like learn real estate and whatnot. Like while I was a college student, like during breaks, I, I go out at 7am to 1am, you know, 1am. Right. Um, but like during when I was super busy, like in school, um, that is until I dropped out <laughs> to pursue this full time. Um, you know, I always just found some ways to at least be consistent. Right. Like even if you are like super busy, like at least be consistent and, and be smart. Like, like, and I'll say this because it's, you know, the new year, right. We're on day six of 2021. Um, I think this is how most people set their goals. They go, uh, yeah, that sounds great. I'll lose 30 pounds this year. That, that's what most people focus on. But what, what people don't talk about, that's what's known as a lagging indicator. Right. Um, people need to make goals around leading indicators. So like in 2017, I told my mentor, um, I want to get 20 rental doors, right? 20 rental doors. That was my goal. 20 rental doors this year. And at the time, I think I already had like eight or something like that. Um, so my, that was my goal, 20 rental doors this year. And my mentor was like, bro, you're a fool because you're making a goal off something that you have no control over. Like you don't know what's going to happen this year, right? You have no idea. So he says, make your goal around something that you can control, which are your daily, weekly, and monthly action steps. So he, you know, in the industry, they call those key performance indicators, KPIs. So I made a list. Like I was very clear about, all right, these are what I'm going to do every single day. And Michael Phelps actually said it best. Like somebody asked Michael Phelps, like, Michael, why are you the greatest Olympian of all time? Like, why are you the most decorated Olympian of all time? And Michael says, what is considered a goal for most Olympians, I consider to be my standard. And so like my mentor kind of said the same thing. They're like, don't set goals, set standards and set expectations for yourself. So I did the same thing. I said, this is my standard every single day. This is my standard every single week. These are things that I'm going to do that I know that leads to success. Um, I got a, a friend of mine named Brandon, who's pretty big in the real estate space. 
And he says, you know, like he says, I made sure that my daily, weekly, monthly goals and, and action steps were so clear that, you know, when I succeed, it's not a surprise to me, right? You, you want to get to a point where your action steps are so clear that success is not a surprise to you. So I made standards and expectations for myself of, um, all right, I'm going to do, you know, five calls a day to these, to these investors. On Tuesdays, I'm going to make five calls to sellers. You know, and every day, this is what I'm going to do. And every week, I'm going to do this to track my progress. And every month, I'm going to do this even more. So I did that. And by the end of the year, December 31st, 2017, instead of 20, I ended up with 82. Um, because that was the standard expectation. And my goal was a byproduct. Most people have flipped. They're like, I want to make this amount of money by the end of the year. If anything, I would actually encourage people to make 2021 a different year and say and set their goals around things that they can control around leading indicators, set the standard and expectations. And I think most people will be shocked at what the results are going to be by the end of 365 days. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Dropping knowledge bombs on us yeah. here. Um, no, that's really good. Um, Mike, do you have any uh, follow-up questions? I want to save some for the QA session. Um, yeah, I think I'm good as far as real estate stuff okay. for right now. Okay. Um, so as always, this is the dad podcast. I know neither one of you are dads, which is, you know, a darn shame. <laughs> um, but we're still going to do some dad jokes because, you know, that's, uh, my favorite part of everything other than the learning. So, um, Mike, what, uh, what do you got for us today? Dude, you always ask me when I'm not prepared. <laughs> Dude, you we do this every single time. I don't understand how you're not prepared. I know, I know. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> okay, so this is a um I'm sure you guys have heard this one before. But what do you call a fish with no eyes? Uh, no, uh, I don't know. Fish. Ha 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 ha. You're the worst. <laughs> Sorry, that was like a desperate. I just pulled it up really fast, and like the first thing was what I went with. Oh my gosh! Sorry, I'm never prepared. No, that was actually kind of funny. I like that. Daniel, you got a dad joke for us, dude? Yeah, I don't know. I saw one on Instagram that was like super funny, but I just for some reason can't remember. I'm so bad at dad jokes because my my wife and I like we've sworn off having kids. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. And Sorry, what are you man. doing I'm on not... a dad podcast, man? I gotta, I know. All right, I'm gonna have to edit that part out. Yeah. Actually, no. I'm sure every dad that's listening to this uh, <laughs> has also at some point questioned their decision. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love my children, and I wouldn't give them back. But man, I wouldn't appreciate some extra sleep. So you can um, blame me. I found him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there <you> go. Go. <laughs> all right. I have a, a two-part joke here. Okay. You guys ready? Yeah, your jokes right. have gotten so complex. They they have. I got a lot of good ones, but they they're uh, you know they take a certain taste. Okay, yeah. why did Mary fall off the swing? Why? Because she had no arms. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's pretty dark. Oh my god! <laughs> I feel like maybe <laughs> is part two like the... okay part 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 two knock knock. Who's not there? Mary. Yeah, it's <laughs> not Mary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that, that was that was uh, as morbid as your Batman one. <laughs> that was as morbid as my Batman one. Yeah. Jeez. Daniel, do you want to hear my Batman joke? Yeah, I want to hear. It. I like morbid jokes. <laughs> okay, let me see if I can remember it. Um, 
dude i remember it you do it i forgot i, for, I don't want to mess it up you do it's it. the it's um why doesn't batman have supervision oh yeah why because his parents his parents are parents dead, are dead. <laughs> <laughs> by the way probably... i love i love dark humor i know me too you guys know like anthony Jevelnik? he's like my favorite comedian of all time uh yeah like I'll, I'll tell you to be honest mike probably the next like 15 podcasts we do are going to be very dark anti-joke humor because <laughs> okay. i found like i found a an entire wealth of things on the on the depths of the internet. Yeah, it sounds like you're on like the dark web <laughs> Sorry, searching for was. jokes. <laughs> I went web. down a really weird <laughs> rabbit hole trying to find jokes. <laughs> I got some pretty funny. I am. I'm going to give you one more just because while we're at it, I got so many now. It's, I'm not, okay. not, I don't have to you be stingy. Can, you can share them with me too. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not sharing them with you. You need to figure your own jokes out. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> what leaves uh, What leaves a bigger memory than a passionate kiss? But a stab wound. <laughs> I feel I don't like these jokes, dude. I feel like these are jokes. <laughs> oh gosh. I love it. Oh, well, you know, it is what it is. It makes me laugh, so that's all yeah. that matters. I'm the only yeah. dad here, so you guys can shove it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. getting a lot of enjoyment out of your <laughs> enjoyment. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Oh man. So, well, this has been a ton of fun. Very knowledgeable, uh, very knowledgeable, very value packed. Uh, you're a very knowledgeable person, Daniel. We oh, appreciate thanks, you being with us. <laughs> um, I'm a moron as always, you know, that's just how things go around here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no. So, uh, just real quick wrap up with, uh, again, reminding the people how they can find you. Yeah. Uh, well, th- I mean, thanks guys. I really appreciate it. You know, s- salute to you guys. I, I, you know, I give you guys a hand, but I don't want to make it like a Mary joke. So <laughs> 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 yeah, people, people can find me on, uh, I mean, if you, if they want to follow my personal page, it's the Daniel clock, but you know, YouTube channel is the clock brothers. Same thing with Instagram, the clock brothers, you know, that's our business Instagram handle. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd be more than happy to, you know, if they want to reach out. Um, I have people reach out to me very frequently with questions. So I love it. I love, like I said, I love people. So um, I'm all yours. I'm gonna uh, put you on the spot here. Yeah. Between you and your brother, who's gonna win in a fight? Uh, me, no question. So let me let me let me say this. Let me say why. My so my brother wrestled in high school, but his record was zero and seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually like I've actually competed in martial arts. So I've done I've done like some competitions. I did I did MMA my whole life. So um, yeah, we talked. We actually got in like this big argument about it this one time about. Who would win in a fight? I'm just like, dude, like you have no training whatsoever. <laughs> I'm like, I, I trained my whole life, so like I don't know. But he he got into this like we got into this debate. Do you guys know who John Jones is? Yes, the Bones. Bones Jones. So he actually had the gall to say that the worst U.S. Marine could beat up John Jones. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, dude, you're full of blasphemy. Man, <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. 
That's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting perspective there. We'll just we'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> I I have a feeling that there are uh, I actually know some Marines, and uh, I mean depending <laughs> on what you do in the Marines, <laughs> um, you know you, you're not going to beat up John Bones Jones, but they are pretty badass themselves. Yeah, so yes, they are. Um, no, but dude, this has been awesome. We really appreciate having you. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I hope your brother hears this and tries to fight you now to prove his <laughs> self worth and stuff. <laughs> but uh, uh, um, no. For all of you guys that are listening, um, we appreciate you following us. We appreciate the support of the podcast. It's been going really well lately. Um, a lot of encouragement and uh, just a lot of support, which we really appreciate. As always, be sure to check out the Stock Dads Facebook group. Um, if you aren't already a part of that, check us out on Instagram at Stock Dads. Um, we're really revamping that. If you followed us before, we're pretty embarrassing Instagrammers, but now we're we're not. So it's mostly because Dude, I gave up those your last, to somebody. Your last story was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> You're still embarrassing no, Instagrammers. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was that was awesome. It's all about portfolio diversity. Using new balances as an example, of course, because it's a dad page. You know, it is what it is. I'm gonna follow um, you guys right now. Yeah. Oh, sweet man. I yeah, feel so special. Do, I love yeah. it, dude. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, no, but yeah, we appreciate the support. Uh, we're going to jump off this uh, right here and do a quick uh, live Q&A session with our um, our Discord guests. So if you're not a part of our Discord, uh, you can always check that out as well. Stockdadsofficial.com. Um, just kind of check us out. I think, uh, you know, we have a lot to offer. We bring on a lot of cool guests like Daniel and um, you know, trying to spread that wealth and spread that knowledge and stuff like that. So, um, I guess that's it for today. Uh, we're going to wrap things up. So thanks guys. Thank you for listening to stocks and sandals, a podcast by stock dads for stock dads. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our stock dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.